Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to a, another bubbly episode. <laughs> to continue the tradition of previewing all things. I think we previewed the playoffs last year, the, the season this year, and now we're back like 27 months later to preview the playoffs again. Coming to you from a remote location in Texas, Dave Dufour. It's not that remote. It is a compound. I, I do live on a compound now, but it is uh, not. I could have gone with bunker. Yeah. Well, it's not a bunker. It's a ranch style house, but it is a compound. I have I have like gates all around my house. Have you seen Romancing the Stone? Man, not in a long time. You know that compound in that village that they stumble upon? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> It's like a, it's no. like a little it's like a little uh looks like a wall. Uh-huh. And they knock on the door and there's like a sliding plate and a guy sticks his, you know, head out the sliding plate and and it's just the most unassuming thing. But then behind the wall is is a compound. It's a yeah, a lovely fortress of house and garden and backyard and hills and that's what I imagine. I want more of a spies like us compound, like an old <laughs> drive-in movie theater in the middle of the desert. Where you go and you get a Pepsi from Bo Diddley, and you you take the really fast elevator down, like you know, into the center of the earth. That's yeah. what I really want. Um, but you know, this this one will do for now. So you like it subterranean? I mean, I would prefer elevation, like put me on top of a mountain, preferably a volcano, any anything like that would attract like some kind of mad scientist. Like I want an evil lair, but without the evil. <laughs> Why does this always happen whenever at we do a podcast? At least it's not Game of Thrones and, and people will get mad at me for, for derailing you from your basketball talk to, to Game of Thrones. Uh, what are we what are we even discussing today? There's there's the bubble playoffs coming up, and I suppose that is literally everything we're gonna talk about. But Yeah. Okay, hold on. I, I have one little quibble about everything being bubble this, bubble that. Here's, it's just the playoffs I'm, now. It's just the playoffs. Yes, they're in a bubble. Well, they're still but in a bubble. It's just the playoffs. Yeah, but it's just it's the playoffs. Would you prefer semi-permeable membrane? <laughs> Is that more? I mean, so far, no one has tried to, you know, dress up as an NBA player and sneak in that we know of. Well, I mean, there's not, luckily there's not a lot of you know five five NBA people, so I think that they would, you know. Someone was doing that, they'd stand out. True. I suppose that's true. Um, what do you think of the Blazers game last night? thought it was great. I, th- I thought that's exactly what the league should have wanted out of this whole play-in thing. Now, personally, Tuesday, after, after we knew it was going to come down to one day, I would have pivoted, and I would have made a four-team play-in. Like, we're going to go single elimination I, I would have done you know memphis versus i think uh who, who was the who was the back of the pack was it san, phoenix? san antonio san phoenix. antonio yeah. yeah so i would have done that and then portland phoenix and then i would have had the the play-in on uh for the the like one game on saturday but i i don't mind screwing people over or making them feel like they're screwed over because it is an entertainment product at at the you know like that's at the end of the day you can think about the sport all you want but it's for entertainment, and they would have made, I mean, maybe made money on that, um, at least in the figurative sense. So many people have, we should document this for the record, if someone is listening to this in a week or a month or whatever, 
mm-hmm. many people have sort of been bothered today by Phoenix going 8-0 and in the bubble and then not making the bubble playoffs. Yeah. We haven't talked about this. How, do you have uh, feelings about this sort of kerfuffle? Yeah. Well, I, I see a lot of people worried about Phoenix being invited because of the results. My issue with Phoenix being invited was the process. Adding adding extra bodies when you are literally trying to create a quarantine, which is easier with fewer people. That was my big issue. If anything, them going 8-0 and justifies them coming. Well, not the opposite. I- interesting. I don't even think about it that way. I just think that the purpose of Phoenix and Washington going to the bubble was not so that if they went 8 no, they won a bubble trophy or made right. the playoffs or won a championship or something. It was the the owners and the people, the parties involved, probably just for financial reasons, wanted more teams to go. And that included kind of crossing the line to, I mean, in the East, Washington was, you know, a country mile behind. And in, in the West, Phoenix was clearly... Uh, they were, what, a couple games back of that sort of pack of teams with the Spurs and the Blazers and all mm-hmm. those guys? Yeah. So I just, I, th- there is nothing inherent about them going 8-0 that suggested that they should be rewarded or make the playoffs. That's not why they were there in the first place, I don't think. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the 8-0 thing is a great story, but I have, a, I have an issue judging anything on the results. If you believe in your process, if, if whatever the process was that got the Suns invited to the bubble, if you believed in that process, then in, stick with it. 0-8 oh uh, oh or 8, no. Doesn't matter. Right. I mean, the Wizards were on the flip side. The Wizards yeah. were 1-7. 1-7. They were, you know, they had to get one last night. Well, they fell behind Charlotte in the standings, and Charlotte hasn't played a game <laughs> since March. The NBA refuses to reflect this on, on the NBA standings, by the way. I, I'm very, very perturbed. So they have a worse record, but they're still in the ninth spot? Well, they're still highlighted yellow. They may have adjusted. I haven't checked in a couple of days. I, this is just, let, you know, no, it's, pedantic. It's, yeah, but it's, it's, it's pandemic pedantic because it's, right. the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, you know, you can't get a worse grade for the rest of the year kind yeah. of thing, which I think was a theme. That applies to my podcast. I think that right? that applies to this podcast as well. <laughs> I have no idea what we're doing navigating the bubble. Here, here's let's let's get into some hardier basketball stuff. Yeah, the I have this idea that is kind of been looming over me for a while, and I think especially after last night's game, I'm more concerned about it than ever, or maybe excited. I don't know. Maybe I'm more excited. Is this going to be the most insane postseason in NBA history? Yes. So you're on. You've thought about this. Oh. You're on board with this. Listen, it is. You know how the the beginning of every season we have these unpredictable stories. I mean, this year it was Phoenix twice, or three right? times, they, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, times? yeah. Right. And so we actually have. There's a chance that we get something like that. I, I, I you know, I predicted that we might see a guy just get hot like you would like you would get during tournament time in college basketball. I, I always mentioned Kemba Walker because I've never seen one guy get hotter for longer. Mm, yeah. You know, 
that Big East tournament run and then the NCAA title run, right? It, like, it was 11 games because they played five days in a row in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I look at I, – I, I was thinking about it in, in those terms. It's got that AAU atmosphere. It's got that college tournament atmosphere to a certain degree. And I, I, I thought that there might be an opportunity for that. But I expected by the time we got to the playoffs – everyone would be normalized but looking at the the games in the second half of this week i don't think that's the case i mean there's still teams trying to find their rhythm i mean the lakers uh in that nuggets game the other night when they're playing against you know guys that are not even going to sniff the court during the playoffs and still struggling it really opened my eyes how much some of these teams are struggling with chemistry and the lakers had great chemistry right away to start the season so I, I, I'm wondering if, you know, particularly with the Lakers, like, is LeBron more hurt than he's letting on with this groin thing? What else is going on? Because there, there are some serious issues. Maybe Rondo is actually important for the team's chemistry, and we just didn't know it. I know he's, a, you know, he's regarded as a really good locker room guy, which I know seems weird to the casual observer, but maybe that's a thing. I don't know. But I, I do think that when you have – a situation that is as weird as this one. I mean, this is completely different, unprecedented, obviously, as we all know. Every commercial reminds us we're living in unprecedented times. So of the contending teams, the Lakers are the ones that have kind of given you the most pause. Um, Compared to where I held them coming in to the bubble, yeah, I think that, yes, I've probably cooled on them the most. And all of that could go out the window after we watched them finish tuning up in the first round against the Blazers or Grizzlies? Uh, You know, I've said this before many times, and I think it really is becoming a thing. Not having Avery Bradley and his minutes Mm -hmm. and just being able to deploy him with the way they like to defend, I think in conjunction, I haven't seen him too much, but from what I've seen or what people have talked about, maybe you've got some locker room insight on this, like Dwight Howard... It's not the same Dwight Howard we had no ro- way. rolling earlier in the year. And so you take those two things out, and it's like, well, boy, you know, one guy's like an 18-minute-a-game guy, the other guy's in the 20s. It, it's it's the versatility and the attitude and the, and the kind of the way those pieces fit nicely with other lineups. And I think when you remove those from the lineups, that to me is the cause for concern. I'm less concerned about the shooting and things. Danny yeah. Green's a streaky player. And, Le- you know, if anything, you go the other way with LeBron, where he does seem to have this switch that he can dial in in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is his play style historically, where he's just so difficult to handle. He gets better in seven-game series as the series goes on. So uh, I, I'm not selling the farm on them, but I do think there are on-court basketball things that are concerning that it doesn't really look like they've figured out in the what are they calling the seeding games in the eight the seeding yeah. yeah uh lebron's one of the few players in the league it might be the only one right now but in league history who can single-handedly dictate the pace of a game for both teams that 2015 uh finals against the warriors i think about that series a lot i think it's actually lebron's most impressive performance because well it's because of that pace dictation like that is LeBron coming down a a little bit from his peak 
you know, I think those Miami years were just, I mean, he was otherworldly. Um, but probably starting to reach his peak from a basketball IQ standpoint. Yeah. And he just said, okay, what, what can I do to counteract what they do? Okay, we're just going to do that. And he did it, and they, the Warriors had to adjust, and they have more talent, and talent wins in the NBA. So, you know, like knocking LeBron for getting beat by a better team is just, you know, you can't do that. So when I think about that series, I, I think in particular about the way that LeBron controlled the pace of play, uh, where the action was happening on the court. I mean, he, could, he controlled the entire thing. So if LeBron is, is actually hurt, I would expect him to start doing stuff like that. But also, you know, he's got Anthony Davis. And uh, LeBron is a lot of things. He's not a selfish player. Uh, I don't think it would bother LeBron one bit if Anthony Davis came out of this entire thing looking like the best player in the league and LeBron looking like, you know, almost his sidekick to win a title. Because no one will ever treat LeBron like his sidekick. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. But Dwight Howard definitely doesn't look the same. I've I've been kind of uh, campaigning for Dwight to win Sixth Man of the Year. Maybe not win because Dennis Schroeder was was probably the best bench player. But I also have issues with how that award is kind of given out. Um, but Dwight is a real bench player. Doesn't really doesn't play starters minutes like like Dennis Schroeder. But the impact that he has for that team in particular defensively or has had for that team defensively is what they're missing right now in the bubble because JaVale has stunk. Looking at um, some of the possession leaders in the bubble, I thought was interesting. Like the Lakers didn't really play anybody. The Bucks were like this as well. You know, some of these teams just did not play guys minutes much at all in the last couple of weeks. And so you've got this one set of teams like like LA treating this like the preseason and at the exact same time you have Portland here are the possession leaders from the bubble <laughs> are you ready yeah Dame Lillard 706 possessions that's almost it's in eight games man that's that's a lot it's almost 90 possessions a game CJ McCollum 679 John, John Morant 653 Carmelo Anthony 588 Gary Trent 576 you notice a pattern there mm-hmm so you've got the team, you know, the the desperation, this is literally our elimination game situation team playing all out like it's a game seven. At the exact same time, you have other teams. You know, Giannis played 338 possessions in the seeding games. Which we should have expected. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying, th- this is part, Dave, this is part of what makes what's about to happen potentially so crazy. I mean, it could be your standard run-of-the-mill postseason and there's an upset or two here and there and we've kind of got you uh-huh. know the, the the key pieces fall in place at the end and someone comes out alive that's a fairly typical postseason structure but you know I think of so we talked about like an NCAA tournament run there's also a little like and I've been dreaming about this for over 25 years there's also a little like 92 Monte Carlo Dream Team practice vibe. Uh-huh. Do, right? Are you with me on this? Where yes. It's like, it's like you're alone in the gym, and at home, they've done an incredible job with the production to make it feel a little bit more normal and immersive, and um, it was someone on the low post the other day talking about how, like, 
basketball is a theatrical sport where the spotlight's on the court, and that's really all you need. You need the ball on the court and the lighting on the court, and you're good to go. But they're in a gym that is actually bigger to be in than what we see on TV. Um, no one's really around. It has a different feeling for the players. And so I think what comes out is some of that uh, attitude, that, that, that ego, that competition gets cranked up in a way that you were so used to, oh, they're in front of a big crowd and the national spotlight. But, you know, if you get a chance or if you, I mean, there is footage of the, some of those Monte Carlo practices, like there's an intensity there that's intimate that is different. I think that affects different players differently. Mm-hmm. My argument against that sort of stuff is that the majority of the games that these guys have played in their lives probably happened in gyms that were very similar to this one. So you don't. So, so you don't buy. That's. That, I think that makes great sense. But mm-hmm. so you're saying you don't buy the idea that some players are, for lack of a better phrase, materially different. Like who cares if you're one percent better or worse? Just like James Harden in the empty gym is literally more comfortable in a way that makes him a materially better shooter or something like that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You, you, I think the sight lines are better here. I think yeah. you know anyone who's shot in an arena can tell you it is tough. Um, I think having having that better um, backdrop is, is definitely going to help guys. Uh, Seth has done a lot of work. Seth Part now has done a lot of work uh, looking at the free throw differences and yeah, you know we had that. Sec- on- oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say sec- the second free throw. Uh, the guys are making them at like five, I think five percent or so higher than yeah. usual. Yeah, we mm-hmm. we had that on the uh, latest Thinking Basketball Five Thoughts video, where the as of that a week ago, free throw shooting in the bubble was about eighty percent. It's seventy nine point three percent today, and those that group of teams coming in in the regular season was like seventy seven eight or something like that. So free throw shooting is up. Mm-hmm. Uh, three point shooting is about the same, but again, I mean that. That could be, it could be something where even your three point shooting is slightly improved. I, I I buy the idea that the sight lines are better, and therefore you're going to see better shooting. And, and just well, anecdotally, I think you see that with like when did Tyler Johnson just start like throwing in fadeaways? Like it was you know, <laughs> like when did, like these things are happening? Yeah. Well, NBA players can play basketball. That's the thing is like most of these guys can do stuff. It's just what can they do with the defense there. And I, I think the defenses have been pretty awful for the most part, uh, Toronto aside. Um, and I expected that. Defense is a skill, and it's very easy to get rusty with your defensive rotations and stuff. I think that's part of part of why fouling's up. I also think the gyms being kind of quiet are, are increasing fouls. But fouling's up because guys are late. You see a lot of people sprinting to get back into yeah. place or to make a rotation. Yeah. And if you're running flat out in the half-court defense, you're late. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Yeah. But three-point shooting is not much different in the last, like, 30 years even. So I wasn't expecting much of a change there. Well, the volume, the volume, up, the, the volume percentage is up. made is about the same. The volume is up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the outside shooting, I think that would be more about sight lines. Um, mm-hmm. But let's let's stick on that defensive point because it's something that I talked about a couple weeks ago with Steve Jones Jr. At the beginning of the year, what you usually see, and Seth has talked about this, and um, Zach Lowe has talked about it, uh, pulling from Second Spectrum, 
usually see more activity at the beginning of the season. Pace is usually very high at the beginning of the season, right? But right. your but your offensive ratings at the beginning of the season are typically lower, mm-hmm. where where it's like the um, chemistry of team offenses kind of needs to catch up to the excitement of the fresh legs, and now and and I don't feel like that's the case here. I talked about it with Steve. I, I feel like you have that except. These are the exact same teams coming in four months later. They're not shuffling in new parts. They have been trying to stay in shape for the most part. They, in their mind, it's less of an off season. And so here we come back. And to your point, I mean, any other insights you have, I'd love to hear them. But it just seems like defense has been way behind offense. And I'm wondering how that carries over once we start the playoff rounds. I don't think the defense is going to be good until like the second or third round of the playoffs. <laughs> and, and this is sort of because when I watch regular season basketball, typically I don't see good defense. And I don't mean that that you necessarily stop the other team from scoring, but I mean connected defense, good communication. I just don't normally see that until late November. I just think mm. it takes a while for everyone to kind of fall back into their role. And get accustomed to doing that stuff because it's not like offense where, okay, um, you have a role and this is your job and we're going to run a play and this is what you're going to do on this. But if we're not going to run a play, you sort of know where you need to go, right? Yeah, I think defense is different. Maybe you can speak to this as a coach. I think it's harder to practice defense, you know, Mm -hmm. cognitively, like get the reps in your mind and your brain. For the kind of assignments, rotations, pickups, all that awareness that you need. There was a a really cool piece in The Athletic this morning on Brooke Lopez by Eric Nem. Did you see this? Yeah. Cleansing, clearing, and and two-nining. Yeah. It's also Eric Name. Eric Name. What did I say? Nem. (laughs) Cannot be trusted with Mm -hmm. anyone's pronunciation. Uh we should we should also mention on that point before we get into this piece. If you want to read this piece, you can the Athletic is actually sponsoring this episode. You can sign up at theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod. Remember the pod on the end of that. That's the way to directly support this podcast. And when you sign up, uh, you'll get forty percent off and you can I, I set my app up so when I open it up in the morning I get access to these things. Uh, and Dave, as someone who works at the Athletic, you you checked this out, right? It's all the cool thing about this piece is it's got all this stuff where Brooke Lopez himself is on talking about video as it plays in terms of these defensive pickups and like what you're thinking in transition, delayed transition, when action comes across the lane, et cetera, et cetera. It's the single best actual basketball piece that I've read this year. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Because no one knows about NBA defense. And it is the most in-depth look at one of the best defenders in the league playing defense in the modern NBA. Well, and, you, and then getting his words, which is just incredible. Right. I mean, Eric's worked on that since January. He and I talked about it at All-Star. And he, he actually showed me that video clip with Brooke talking over top of it. And I was, I've been waiting for this forever. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. The video clips are... I've actually had this dream to do something like this for thinking basketball video breakdowns where it's one thing to have like the detail episodes where a guy drives his own stuff, but it's both of them talking about the play. So you get this back and forth question and answer 
interactive thing and and one play because of that conversation might be you know 90 seconds or two minutes where you start on one side you get the exchange into transition and so you know connecting to what we were talking about i recommend that piece thinking about the athletic.com slash thinking basketball pod if you want to sign up and support the show that kind of repetition cognitively psychologically how, how do you get that in downtime and in the off season and doesn't rust develop there versus how easy is it to just play three on three and, and work on, you know, two man or three man game principles and things like that. I mean, it's extremely difficult. Uh, Defense is all about reaction. You're, you're always a half second behind in your decision-making. You are constantly having to guess, assume. I mean, again, you are at a natural disadvantage defensively because you have no idea what is coming unless your scout is great which brooke lopez very good at that very good at recognizing sets for opponents obviously is always up on the scouting report if you have a guy like brooke it raises the level of your entire defense but it's really hard to practice it everyone sort of runs the same stuff in the nba but it's different and with different personnel and so you know i'm a believer in scrimmaging i actually think five on five scrimmaging is one of the few ways that you can get better on the court. Now, you can get better with your individual skills and shooting and things like that, but as far as a team goes, I, I think the five-on-five scrimmaging is pretty much it. And I know when I'm coaching teams, it's very active learning five-on-five scrimmage. So there's a lot of stopping. There's a lot of discussing, hey, you know, where was the miscommunication there? And from my understanding, the Bucks are really good about this stuff which is part of why their defense is so excellent. And it also helps that you've got Brooke Lopez, Giannis, Bledsoe, Middleton. I mean, they have you know great defenders, and that, and that helps. But all of those guys are good team defenders. And that's, I mean, it's a lot of film time for the NBA, learning your opponent's tendencies individually and as teams. There's just so much to take into account, and that's part of why I anticipated the defenses being so behind the offenses. Think about it. You can go into a gym by yourself and you can get up shots. You can't go to a gym by yourself and practice your your help rotations on the back line. <laughs> well, you you can, but you might look strange. It's going to look weird. <laughs> um, you, nobody's out there getting into a stance, you know, <laughs> in, in the middle of the YMCA. Hey guys, I need this. I need this court. <laughs> I'm going to go work my- on. Practice my defensive rotations. I'm going to go run some sh- shell drills. You Do you know? need a ball? No, I don't need a ball. <laughs> but trust me. Um, let's stay with the Bucks. Do you, so they're the kind of reactionary takes, I think, are at a fever pitch, or maybe we should say a pandemic pitch, um, I think just because of the time off and the state of the world and things like that. But a lot of people writing off teams, the Lakers we just talked about, the Bucks. I see a lot of doubts about what's happening with them. Do you think that defense is well? Let me let me phrase this differently because, of course, it's good enough. How are you feeling about them and their defense heading into the tournament, specifically against those high level teams that could potentially pick them off? I, I'm not too worried about the Bucks generally. Um, I, I do think my my concerns about the Bucks are fairly unchanged given the seeding games. Like I'm not taking a ton away from the seeding games. I, I worry about Bledsoe's conditioning because, you know, he's kind of not really gotten a lot of minutes, but 
the Bucks are the Bucks, and they're always careful about minute load and things like that. So uh, I expect the first round to be another tune-up round for them. And I think the only team that really in the East can give them a run is probably Toronto and maybe Miami. But I, I'm way less concerned about Miami than I am uh, Toronto. It, it very interesting because I'm not sure. So you're most concerned about Toronto. Yeah. Oh. I mean, that Toronto, that, that series last year changed when Marcus Saul started shooting threes. Well, that was an incredibly close series. I, I, I've, mm-hmm. But those are different teams. You know, you take off Kawhi and Danny Green, and that's actually, I, I think my concern with Toronto is they don't have the firepower. They don't have the ability to get, re- we talked about it on the season preview. They're the 94 Bulls. That's that's the team we talked about on that show. That's the team I pegged them as. That was my notes. Great team, even without their core scoring machine. But when you get to the end, and of course the 94 Bulls, they could have beaten the, the Knicks in that seven-game series. But I, I think you were starting to see the inability to generate high-level offense. And I have the same concern with the Raptors and even even when you watch film against them, they've had some really cool games, very fun back mm-hmm. and forth games with the Bucks. But at a certain point, you know, it's not just four quarters of offense you need against Milwaukee. You need four games of four quarters of offense, and I don't see them getting that. Yeah, they don't have that Middleton guy that that you can just say, "Hey, our offense stinks right now. Please go to work and get a get any shot." They're trying to use that's loose terminology i mean they kind of are defaulting they're defaulting to pascal in that role but as good as pascal siakam is he doesn't have that skill at a high enough level yet and so yes i think that's exactly the point kyle lowry gasol van vliet Mm -hmm. these are these are all great players in their own right but i think especially against that milwaukee defense and the way they play and the athletes like middleton is an interesting example because middleton can self-generate and he can do stuff in the mid-range and that is kind of exactly what I would think I would look for against the Bucks. But aren't the Raptors sort of a special antidote to the Bucks? They're very good at hitting open threes. They're going to get a lot of those against the Bucks. And they can defend. They can hang with the Bucks, you know, on that end. They they can stop the Bucks enough. It's it's a good argument for team offense versus, you know, individual offense. The Bucks being a little bit more of an individual, you know, like typically one creator, whereas the Raptors really use the ball to create shots, much like Miami. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, I'm not saying it's going to be a sweep. Oh, yeah, no, no, right, no, no. Right? No. Like, I, I think this very point we're on right now reminds me of the difference between a, a, a two-round team in the playoffs and a four-round mm-hmm. team in the playoffs. Like, a two-round team in the playoffs, to get to the second round and play competitively is a whole different ball of wax than being able to get to the final four and legitimately win series against those final four teams. Typically in the NBA, you've got about three or four title contenders that kind of are similar-ish or at least legit teams by the time you get to that conference finals round. And so what happens sometimes is you get like, uh, I mean, they're one of the worst, but the 2002 Celtics. Right, the 2002 mm-hmm. Celtics make the conference finals, or the 2001 Bucks make the conference finals, and you say, "Hey, they won like two two playoff series. They're really good." And 
the whole distinction there is there's a massive difference between a, a two series team and a four series team. And right. I, this kind of what we're talking about with Toronto makes me feel the exact same way. Everything mm-hmm. you just said, I agree with, which is why I think they'd probably win some games if that series goes down and it would be competitive. But we've seen over and over and over again, another one off the top of my head, 09 uh, Western Finals, Denver, LA. Like, Denver won some games in that series. It was competitive for moments, but you just run out of juice in the key spots on the court. LA had more firepower, and that's kind of what this series feels like to me. What if Toronto is the 04 Pistons? <sighs> I know. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying, what if they are? They've got a great coach. And you know they Nick, Nick Nurse do. is ready. I, I just why didn't Nick Nurse win Coach of the Year? Um, hmm. Did you did question. you guys have a rant about that on your podcast? No, 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 no. I actually think I think that um, there were so many good candidates this year. It was hard to pick someone who did a poor job. I mean, if you, if you had taken a vote today instead of you know before the seeding games, I bet a lot of people would mention Monty Williams. It, it's so much of this is what's fresh in your mind, and there's so few bad NBA coaches. Like we start to handicap this thing, and we say, "Wow, look at what Nick Nurse did after losing Kawhi." Instead of saying, "Wow, look at what Bud did back to back for a team that lost in the conference finals," which to me mentally is a much harder task to bring that team back and have them be, you know, the best defense in the league instead of just doing the you know and this is not to denigrate lebron but let's not pretend like lebron teams haven't coasted until he got to la you know those Cavs teams were coasting all year they they started their their uh rest period in like december and then would (laughs) you know they didn't play defense for six months so you know it's just uh I think that that's a challenge. I think what Billy Donovan did, it's so much of it is expectation load, right? Well, well that's part of it's, the... It's to yeah. start the season, right? We all thought Oklahoma City were going to trade Chris Paul. They don't have the year they have if they trade Chris Paul, but they were right around where I expected them to be in that 6-7-8 range until the seeding games here. We're, we're going to get back to the box in a second. Yeah, yeah, we should. But, but, but there's, a, there's a larger point here, which I think is worth talking about, and, and mm-hmm. we've talked a little offline about it over the summer. The expectation things as it relates to rewards, I'm comfortable saying I've probably done more study of historical awards than just about anyone. Way more than me. It's not a, it's, I mean, it's not something you want to put at the top of your resume. It's a, it's, it's slightly embarrassing, but they are almost entirely dictated by preseason expectations and I find this very bizarre when you actually reflect on it because it's that old like college football thing where the preseason poll has like weight at the end of the year for determining yeah. the national and you're like, "Well, why did you have that expectation in the first right. you just made that up? It could have been terrible, it could have been brilliant, but essentially what you're saying is I'm going to give out my award to the person I was the most wrong about or the coach or team I was most wrong. Like this guy came out of nowhere. Well, he came out of nowhere to you. Right. Yeah. Or or if you have high expectations about someone, the exact you know inverse holds true. It's like, well, I thought he was going to be great. So <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to give him that re- that award. Right. Well, I mean, so I would I would even say following conventional logic, the way that we do it, like Taylor Jenkins should get a lot more coach of the year buzz than he got. Well, well, coaches, coaches trickier 
A, I think we all agree it's incredibly difficult to evaluate coaching. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, especially from the outside. It's mm-hmm. probably even difficult, even if you're on the inside and you can see all the soft skills and things like that. But the coaching one, and I mentioned this specifically with the college football polling, because I, I think we had the same reaction. I just about keeled over from a heart attack when I saw the over-under line on Oklahoma City in the preseason. They had Chris Paul. They had uh, an emerging Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They had Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams. Like These are really good basketball players and veterans. And I think their first over-under line I saw on them was 31 wins. I, 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 thought, they- <laughs> I thought it was a typo. I swear I thought it was a typo. I, I still think that is the inherent bias and people just thinking, okay, well, Sam Presti is going to move all these guys. And for Vegas, it makes sense to think like that to sure. a certain degree. Well, that's a little low, even if, because you're... Yes, that's that's a really good contextual point to bring up. It wasn't clear that these players would play there the whole season. But right. even if you adjust for that, I think it's still low because you have to have some scenarios where they play the whole season and they look like a 40-something, you know, pick pick your number, 45-win team, 42-win team, like... Just going low 30s or mid 30s on that team when they're there, um, I, bizarre is the is the word that I would use. I'm sure you could think of other ones, but the the larger point here around the coaching award is if somebody was a year younger or somebody writes a different story. You know, Chris Paul gets traded and he's on a mission to show the world and he's posting Instagram videos every day about how he's going to win the MVP again. And, um, you know, Shea comes out and Shea's going to be the most improved player and they put together a massive media campaign and instead of Oklahoma City, they play in L.A. And Vegas has their line at 52. Does anyone notice anything Billy Donovan did this year? I mean, I would, but I I mean, I look at it a little bit differently. You you don't count. But you're right. Uh, you're right. The expectations color the results for us. I mean, we always and it, that's maybe that's just like a sports fan thing too. We all love the underdog stories. We all love the upsets. Like, and and this is outperforming expectations. I mean, look at the dumb most improved player award. It's almost always given to people who should improve from one year to the next. Oh well, almost they, always. I think they should call that the. Exceeded my expectations award. Well, I mean, that's what the coach of the year award is. Well, but I, but that's how, why I look at what Bud did. I mean, I, I don't know how you coach the, you know, the best defense. And I, I can't, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not up to date on where they wound up offensively, but they were <laughs> top five all year. Um, I don't know how you do that after making a conference finals run where you had a 2-0 lead. I mean, just mentally bringing that team back, almost the exact same team. And doing that again is a much more difficult task, and especially at the high end, where you're, you know, this is like finals or bust sort of season for them. I, I mean, they're not going to break up the team, but there, there are finals expectations on the line, and they met those performance goals all year, and if not exceeded them. You know, Giannis is going to be MVP again. They're going to have the defensive player of the year on their team, and I think that that. You, the coach should be rewarded for that. Now, if the Washington Wizards had, I don't know, made the four seed with the lack of talent they had, all right, well, now we got to start talking about Scotty Brooks because just that the, there is a talent issue there. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that though, all those projections at the start of the season 
100% set up who the award winners are going to yeah, be. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how strange it is historically. If, you, if you're listening and you haven't done it, go back and look at some of the Coach of the Year award winners and you will scratch your head. And it's entirely because of this thing where it's related to expectations. And then the thing I think they miss, Dave, is I think they miss emerging talent a lot of the times and they conflate it with great coaching. And it's like, no, you actually had better players than we thought. Uh, and the coaching, if anything, sometimes is problematic in those knee-jerk reactions. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the fastest horses win the race. This is something I say all the time. Talent in the NBA is the number one indicator of success. You could have, I mean, the Warriors succeeded in spite of having a bad coach. Now, once they got a new coach, it clearly elevated them. But they, they talent is what mattered the most. You could have put... Any coach in there, it didn't have to be Steve Kerr, but someone that understood where basketball was headed and was willing to throw things at the wall, and you still have to get a little bit lucky as a coach and stumble into Draymond Green doing the things that he did for that team. Talent matters. Talent is pretty much the only thing that matters. So speaking of talent, the team in the East that to me has the most talent to be a threat to Milwaukee is not... Miami, although Miami has a nice little matchup thing going on. Of course. Don't do this. Don't do this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Don't do what I think you're about to do. I'm going to do it because it's it's worth. You don't think it's worth. You don't even think it's worth discussing. Continue. Continue. <laughs> it's not Toronto. I can't believe you're going to do this. Why? Why? Why can't you believe it? Milwaukee is one of the few teams in the league that can actively hammer you if you can't match their size. They're smothering on the wing. They're so versatile. You're talking about the Celtics, I'm assuming, right? I am. I think that's the that's the most interesting of the teams to discuss. I I just don't. I, I think they're they're one guy away, and I think that guy is like Rudy Gobert. <laughs> well, hold on, time out. You know what I mean? Time, like, time out. Time out. If they need a they need a big, a on, real full, big. Full pause. If the Celtics had Rudy Gobert, wouldn't they be the best team in the league? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So we're, go- yeah. we're going a little too far here. I'm not even right. saying. I'm not even saying that the. I'm clearly not saying that the 2020 Boston Celtics are a top tier championship contender. What I'm saying Wait, is, do you think they're a matchup problem for the Bucks? No, I'm not saying that either. Oh, 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 oh no, oh. I I agree with you. They, I I would say when I watch the Bucks play the Raptors, the firepower is the thing that comes to mind over a sustained period of time. Mm-hmm. When I watch the Celtics play the Bucks, the thing that comes to mind over a sustained period of time is actually not size, it's athleticism. It's the fact that Milwaukee either nullifies or strangles part of Boston's sort of, what, what would you describe this offense as, wingy? Yeah, it's extremely wingy. wingy. I was going to say, they punish. So it's funny because when when the Bucks don't have to worry about the threat of penetration, which Boston does not attack the basket. They are a, a East-West offense, right? They are, they are a lot more Barry Sanders than Emmett Smith. And in the NBA, you know, you need the deep threat, basically. You need to worry about the guy who can take it to the house, take it to the rack, and draw fouls, put pressure on the defense. And Boston doesn't do that, which actually allows the Bucks' three-point defense to be pretty good. Because they're not they're not loading up the paint and, and just hanging back and waiting and and running you off the three point line or you know pretending to run you off the three point line into the mid range because 
they're happy to just defend you with their length. I think that's a. I think you're describing a sort of general weakness of the Celtics in terms mm-hmm. of them not being a really, really high-level offense. But of all the teams in the East, I mean, it's certainly not Philadelphia and Indiana. And we've gone through Miami and Toronto. And, and maybe Toronto has the, I mean, I don't know, maybe you split hairs and you say Toronto has the best chance. They have a puncher's chance or something. But if we go back to the coaching thing, mm-hmm. does Brad Stevens have a card he can play? Does... Rob Williams is he able to contribute? You know, so that that's the interesting wild card. Right? Okay, so go. This is all I'm saying. All I'm saying okay. is of the okay. East, if we're concerned about Milwaukee, who's the team? And my reservation, or at least to me, the weakness or the sort of issue you're going to see with Toronto is clear. Mm-hmm. The issue with Miami is I think Miami has a talent gap they can't make up, even though Bam yeah. Bam does a really nice job on Giannis. They're a guy short, I think. Yeah, they're they're just like a key, a full key player short. Whereas mm-hmm. the Celtics, one of the guys that could really change things for the Celtics, besides Rob Williams, another one is Hayward. Hayward has been overwhelmed by the Bucks' athleticism more than any Celtic player, mm-hmm. um, I think, in their matchups this year. And, of course, going I'd, back to last year. Go I'd ahead. bring him off the bench. Okay, so, you know, maybe that's – this is what I'm saying. If he can find minutes – that are more successful or healthier in that series for would you rather get 22 great minutes from Hayward or 35 struggling minutes? I think the, the answer is clear. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd bring him and Kemba off the bench, but no, you, I think, I think Kemba is actually, so you mentioned him with the Yukon run. Mm-hmm. Kemba's had moments against the bucks mm-hmm. because he's really quick. He's the one guy who can kind of get into the teeth of the defense, even the way they set up their coverage. And what Kemba loves that high screen pull up three. He's comfortable taking six to ten of those in a game or something like that. So there are enough little things there where if none of them break, it's well, I was going to say a five game series, but there's no home court anymore. So that doesn't even make. You know, that whole win one on the road doesn't even make any sense. But it's just going to be a much, much harder hill to climb. Whereas if I'm looking at teams who can be the 2009 Orlando Magic Mm -hmm. and and get hot and present some kind of matchup, I'm not saying I'm going to put money on it, but I don't really see anyone else left in the East maybe besides the Celtics. Well, there's where you're on to something. Coming into the into the seeding games, I was thinking, wow, the Sixers could really catch a lot of people sleeping. Simmons healthy. Or or themselves. Or themselves, which is what, you know, the injuries for them, is it's just so tough. You know, not having Simmons is a game changer. But I thought that they could could really be a sleeping giant given the the extra time off, health. I I really thought we were going to, you know, I thought Shake Milton was better than he's shown in the seeding games. I still think he probably is. Um, I'm trying not to take too much away from these games. As far as you know, looking looking forward, um, but you might be right. I, I think as far as variance goes, the Celtics probably have more than any team in the East. Yeah, I think that's sort of in line with what I'm yeah saying. But but historically, if you, if you look back <laughs> and you say, "Wow, you know this team really needs Rob Williams to to be a key a key piece when he is not shown that." He's anywhere close to that. How many times has that happened in the playoffs? Okay, here's the flip side. There are Scottie Pippins in the world where I'm not talking about the 1991 championship Bulls. I'm talking about mm-hmm. like 1989 
where you're mm-hmm. a second year player and then you you start getting minutes and then you start and yes, you make your first all-star team in 1990, but when you go back and you look at the whole thing, you realize by the playoffs of 1989, whoa, that guy was really good. Yeah. And so in a sense, you almost need players like that. Need is a strong word, but there are examples where for a team to emerge, sometimes you really require that young guy who was a nobody six months ago to actually be a really, really solid player by the end of the year. So I don't think it's completely crazy. But six months of game time, not six months of quarantine time, right? (laughs) Like with Scott, with Scotty, we we saw it. We like we saw it happening with Scotty and with Rod. Listen, I am a you love Rod. I I go to the church of the time. You do. You do. Okay. I think I think that the potential for a very talented player exists there. One that could change the way East teams, you know go up against the Celtics like his passing is, could be special you love the passing once, once things slow down for him I think he's gonna be a really good player um, but you've got to do more than just you know be able to pass and catch lobs his defensive stuff he's he's a you, you want to talk about guy late on rotations now sometimes he can make up for it with athleticism but in the playoffs I mean you just there's no margin for error error when you get deep into the playoffs you're just not i mean the bucks would would just decimate that guy and to yeah. be to be fair again to the bucks they are big as hell and they will punish small teams this is like rob williams is you know six seven six eight and it's still a little light in the ass like he hasn't he hasn't had four <laughs> or five years in of in the gym uh with the nba team yet i, I just think you know brooke lopez would invite that matchup I wish it would happen. Oh my God, that would be the the best story to happen is that the Celtics make the finals because freaking Time Lord has turned into the the third guy of their big three. So somehow we are very... Now we're doing fantasy. No, I'm just saying somehow we're now very excited about the Bucks making it. I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't feel comfortable with... I feel like I'm holding two contradictory states in my mind at the same time and yet both feel equally valid one is the bubble's crazy some wild stuff could happen and two is who's gonna beat the box right right (laughs) okay so yes i am open to the idea that some crazy stuff could happen but i still have to go with like i still have to use the information that i have the new information that we got from these seeding games is you know noisy Agreed. And that's being and that's being generous. generous. It's being generous. But I think all I'm saying here is if there's a team to kind of do a weird thing and get hot, wouldn't it be an offensively inclined, almost like maybe a jump shooting that you see what I'm getting at? Like I, I get what you're saying. The offensive rating J- in the bubble. Jason Tatum goes yes, for you know fifty yes. percent from three for yes, a month. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the offense- Well, Jason Tatum here's what I'll I will say is that <laughs> Jason Tatum has made a case for himself. Not just in in the seeding games, but in the lead up to the to the hiatus. Uh, in the East, I, I think the only series where he's not the best player is against the Bucks. Hmm. I think I uh, Philadelphia is the only one that. Oh, that's disagree. that's right. Yeah. I just I have already forgotten about Philadelphia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, just for the record, <laughs> offensive rating in the bubble 
Poor Embiid. Uh, it's it's a small number of games, but we alluded to it earlier, where normally the offensive rating starts low and then goes up. Offensive rating in the bubble, 113.3. That The all-time record was last year at 110. The season officially ending this year at 110.6, including the seeding games and the offense in the bubble, over 113. So it is the wild, wild west out there. Uh, and I have no idea what that brings. Should we finish on the West? Sure. I mean, we've concluded that there's no way Milwaukee can lose. So <laughs> that's tongue in cheek. Gonna get hate. I'm gonna get angry, yeah, you're, angry letters about that later. Yeah, yeah. The um, Boston folks are not going to be happy. They're never happy with me. When I was when I lived there, they were never happy with me. Um, it was a lot of every year. You know, the Celtics are going to win the title, and me going. Here are five reasons why you should change Kool-Aid brands. Um, Clippers is the only kind of other huge team we haven't discussed. Okay. I mean, has anything changed for you in what you've seen? Are you... Didn't you sell... You sold the Clippers last time you were on the pod. Mm Mm-hmm. You were out on them. You sold them. Are you back? I mean, they still have not had (laughs) their full team play together. Now, they, they have some... They have fewer chemistry concerns because their offense is just kind of weird as hell anyway. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah. keep going. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know what I mean? I don't know how much chemistry you need to, right, right. to have that clunky offense. It's not even clunky because it works. It's but it's skill different. Heavy. It's skill yeah. heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. We've got skilled guys and we do yeah. the kind of... Not thing. a lot to remember, right? No. I mean, it's kind of like the Mavericks. You know, all, all these these teams like that that hey that guy's gonna do some stuff be ready <laughs> that i feel like they had a <laughs> the, the curve wasn't as steep right here's uh, the, the film room is like when the, okay when this guy comes up and stands next to that guy that's a screen right and he's gonna roll and then the other guys are gonna stand there that's what they do all game uh-huh and and this guy's gonna jab step six times but still shoot <laughs> he doesn't care about the hand in the face no i i I'm almost on the Clippers by default. I'm higher on the Nuggets right now than I was. You were talking um, about Marcus Morris, right? Yeah, yeah. I was talking about Marcus <laughs> Morris. Yeah, it was very obvious, right? <laughs> um, I, you know, I, Did I, you say I'm, the Nuggets? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Well, I'm talking about the Clippers first, but um, I just I still don't trust them because they just haven't had everyone together, and, and I'm a basketball guy who thinks in those terms, and maybe that's you know, to my detriment, but I do think playing together matters and, uh, we, we just haven't seen it. And I, you know what, to be honest with you, God, I can't believe I'm going to end the week the same way I started it. I just don't trust Paul George. I trust Kawhi, but Paul George has to be able to do his job. He doesn't, he look better though. He looks great. The shoulders look better. I mean, yeah, I thought you were the captain of the Paul George fan club. Uh, Oh, I led the MVPG campaign last year. I thought he was fantastic until January when he got hurt. I I have always been high on Paul George. We say this every... We have this little um, sort of fawning session every time you come on the pod. Uh, I've always been high on him. He Mm -hmm. is an underrated passer and a very skilled shooter. Mm -hmm. And I think if anything that I'm concerned about right now, it goes back to, you know, one of the themes of our discussion today, the defense... But offensively, I do think you're getting a better Paul George than probably what we saw in spurts during the regular season this year. And the two of those guys together, um, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think they're, they're a little, 
little too much taking turns. Well, maybe, but they, I do think they have skill sets that um, don't make the diminishing returns on that kind of theoretical approach as mm-hmm. bad as it would be for other players. It's not like, it's not like um, Carmelo Anthony and Allen Iverson taking turns. Right, right. Both guys are willing to spot up. And, and, it's huge. And do it well. And, and can knock them down, right? Understand how to get to spots. And, you mm-hmm. know, they're not just standing there idly when the other guy has the ball. Are you trying to change my mind on the Clippers? Well, maybe I am because I think no, because our, our, our discussion. Our I dis- just need to see Paul George be able to do it in in pressure situations. And, and you know, Mo and I had this conversation yesterday. Uh, well, actually, on today's Nerder, we're, we're recording this on Friday. You but can't you can't trust anything Mo DeKeel says. <laughs> Not about the Clippers, but but we mentioned Paul George has something to prove in the playoffs, and that's what I mean. I, I need to. I want to see that you know he can do the things that we know he can do when the game is on the line and there's pressure because you know if the clippers win it's going to be because Kawhi. but if they don't if they don't win it's going to be because paul george wasn't paul george he was something less maybe i mean they they there i think there are other more glaring issues but i, I understand oh well the point. trez harrell can't play in the yeah, playoffs yeah, yeah, and they got, you know lou williams is going to give up yeah. 25 points a game and yeah certainly there are other issues but you can mitigate those like you can but you can't take paul george out like paul like you cannot play trez harrell you you have to play paul george and by the way paul george never bad in the playoffs it's just that i want to see that that elevation of the game he's got to get to that next level and beyond, and I mean in the conference finals. I don't mean in the first two rounds. I need to see it conference finals. I'd like to see the Clippers make a run to the finals. I think it would be a great story, just as a, a guy who loves the sport of basketball, to to see that team and and those guys. I mean, I, I think Doc is a fantastic coach, even though you're not seeing him coach a whole lot outside of you know clock management and things like that right now. That that's his style, Dave. Oh, that's not true. Doc is a fantastic X and O's coach. He just, you know, this is not an X and O's team. I, I do not agree with that statement. Uh, okay. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. <laughs> we Today, we'll definitely agree to disagree because um, I don't want to get bogged down in that. Let's talk about the Nuggets. Well, before we get to the Nuggets, I just want to okay. finish this point about Paul George. <laughs> yeah. One thing I think is unfair about this conversation is if Anthony Davis does, you know, peak Anthony Davis things mm-hmm. with in that environment with LeBron James as a teammate. And this is one of the reasons I'm so high on Anthony Davis. You're going to see stat lines like 40 and 20 in a big game. Mm-hmm. And and I do think Anthony Davis in general is better than Paul George. But it's unfair. Yeah. It's unfair in a sense because the way people think about playing great, like what Paul George needs to have is a series where you see a stat line like, 27 points, 7 assists, 65, 70% true shooting because he's making threes, getting to the line, and playing great defense, which doesn't come up in the... Right, right. So That's it for me. Right. So in, in a way, I think it's unfair because we're not expecting Paul George to have games where he's putting up 40 and 10 and, and then Kawhi takes a back seat and they go back and forth. It's more about meshing in a way where your defense is better, your scoring efficiency is better... Um, you're filling in sort of the gaps, if you will, and doing all the other little things and playmaking and passing. That's the level that he would have to get to. Right. And it is different. It is different. different. They're different players. It's different, yeah. and it creates a different perspective. And I don't think the perspective is fair because 
whatever the case, you know, oh, normal Paul George, he had 25 and six. I just think right. that's such a disservice. For for me, it's it's very much about the, it's the stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Right. Paul right, George. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've I become mean, you so know that. grumpy. I've become so cantankerous in the lockdown. I see. <laughs> I'm, like, I see. I'm yelling at kids on the lawn. Um, <laughs> what were the nuggets? Please take us home. I just did a, a deep dive on the nuggets and they i think they're a great way to punctuate this podcast where the theme is variance wild yes. cards and just crazy offense go ahead Dave. well i mean how about we don't even know what nuggets team we're getting like they're going to be forced to i think bowl bowl is going to be getting minutes in the playoffs just out of necessity first of all he's he's done some stuff that's been eye-opening um i wouldn't say he's been particularly good i think he's been good for expectations which is great but I don't think he's been necessarily good in the seeding games. He's done some stuff that just makes you like open your eyes. But um, I think for the Nuggets, Michael Porter Jr. is a ceiling raiser. Yep. When you have a guy that can do the things that he does offensively with the ball in his hands and take some of that pressure off Jokic, I mean, Jokic is going to get more spot-ups now, and he's a fantastic three-point shooter. But he's also now a bigger threat as a passer playing off the ball as a secondary guy because he's amazing at reading the floor there. And then Michael Porter Jr., in addition to being a guy who can shoot off the dribble, I mean, the pull-up threes in transition, the confidence he has on those. But he's a great cutter. He uses his body to get into defenders and create separation before he cuts. He is – I mean, he's a <laughs> – Wow, almost almost said it. I'm not going to say it. I'll text s- it to you when we finish. Okay. I'm not going right. to say it out loud. Okay. I'm not ready to put it publicly. Okay, but he is their ceiling raiser, and you know it's it's a shame that he's a turnstile on defense. But I think that given their their, you know, we don't know if Gary Harris is going to play. We're not sure what Will Barton is going to be able to do. Jamal Murray's been up and down. Uh, and and injured and all other sorts of things. I think you got to go with. I think Michael Porter Jr. needs to start and play like thirty five games a night, uh, thirty five minutes a night. Well, I, I I agree with you that he's a ceiling raiser. I think it's very little to do. I don't think his on ball game in a sort of critical situation is going to make that much of a difference right now. I think it's this off ball stuff and the shooting and the stroke and the cutting and the size yeah. and well, he's already got gravity though when he has the ball and that's what I'm getting at is that the defenses are already respecting him in a way that defenses respect guys who can just get you a bucket. Right. He's he's adding an element. I mean, I detailed this in the video last week. He's adding an element to the offense that carries over at a high level. In other words, now we're talking about I think their offensive rating with him on the court in the bubble, yes, still small samples, but I mean it's in the one twenties or something. Um, so he he's still going to be deployed as like a X factor kind of player. You know what I mean? Like um, I don't know what if the team is fully. I healthy. think he's starting. I think he's starting. Well, he might start because the team's fully healthy. All I'm saying is, thirty five minutes might be a lot. It still might be he might get 35 minutes, but they got to they're going to have to figure out the lineups. If you think about all the bodies they have, they have depth mm-hmm. and they have versatility. They have to figure it out. So you've got Grant Grant well, they, Grant's getting they don't payment. have any guards. They don't have any guards at all. Yeah. Well, unless they're hell and is if Harrison Murray play uh, then they have guards. But uh, do, do you expect Harris to play? 
Uh, he didn't play a single seeding game. Yeah, I don't know what to make of any of that. I expect Murray to play, essentially. I, I have no idea if we're going to see Gary Harris. And what, then what if Gary Will Harris Barton can shoot? <laughs> well, so that's the, that, that's the thing about Gary Harris is not only do you not know if he's going to play, you don't know if he's remembered how to shoot because he just <laughs> forgot. I, I honestly, look, I think that tall ball, there's something to that tall ball lineup. I, I think it is a wrinkle. Um, Which, with the one with Bull? Yeah, the one with Bull. I, I, I don't think so. Or at least run it with MPJ. Um, well, but who's the who's the other? You have Grant, Jokic. They Jokic, run, Grant, Millsap, Porter. Oh, with Millsap, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then um, with Murray, honestly, like I, I, I tend to prefer Monte Morris just because he's a little bit more consistent, especially defensively. Do you prefer him over Jamal Murray? Well, with that lineup, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. So you think that team, you think that team can make a run? I, I think I think they have a puncher's <laughs> chance. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that when you can score that way, and, and their defense is not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but they had periods where they were, you know, a top ten defense here and there. Um, if they can pull to their defense together, yeah, maybe they could make it to the finals. God, that is insane. Yeah. That's insane. Anyone left in the West that we haven't covered before we... Um, I think OKC is going to beat the Rockets, especially with Russ uh, having this quad injury. Mm. But I, 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 don't, I don't see them as like a deep threat. Um, how, let me ask you something. Because, you know, Portland's going to have to beat Memphis twice to get in. No, Portland is the eight. Oh, they are the eight. Yeah. Oh, I, I missed that. Okay, so Portland is going to make the playoffs. <laughs> now, we, we were just talking about like chemistry and all these other things. Well, Portland's probably playing their best basketball of the season right now. No joke. Everyone's healthy. Dame is, I mean, 37 and a half points a game or something like that in the bubble. Yeah, they, get, they, they have Nurkic. Mm-hmm. They can match the Lakers' size to a certain degree. It's not as good, but they can at least not not be bigged to death i don't i think that's actually going to be the problem if that's what you're going to ask me what are well you this ask is me? what Go i was ahead. this is what i was going to ask i was like they can at least match up in size not in style but in size is there any part of you that thinks that the blazers can pull this off because i think the blazers are just going to like maybe they take one game but they're going to lose in five that's it, what it, i think is there any part of me that thinks the blazers can pull this off beyond like and a win beyond like a one in a Let's say less than one in a hundred. No. Yeah. No. Okay. And the simple reason is, well, I guess there's two huge reasons. One is matchup. Um, just yes, Gary Trent has been great, but I'm the the forward combination that the Lakers have, and the things they can do with those guys. And Nur- Nurkic is, you know, he's not. He doesn't have the conditioning he needs to have. He was poor. Nurkic was so gassed last night. That was incredible to watch. Um, but. You know, he's good, but he's not back to where he was. That's one. That's just that matchup and the way they kind of fit stylistically. And the other one, the huge, the bigger one to me, Dave, is just for all the sort of hype Portland is getting for barely squeezing by the Brooklyn Nets to make the playoff game for the eighth seed in the West, they, they just they, they, they can't guard a telephone pole. No. And, and I just, <laughs> it's tough for me to see. But wait. Who has the worst defense in the bubble? 
Oh, just technically? Yeah. Uh, are you going to say the Lakers? I mean, I don't... They, I don't, they, I, they have had the worst defense. Yeah, that means, but it means nothing to me. That's, okay, that's just you noise. S- see, at, at what point... When you, when you look at the, the Lakers and you see them pressing against the Nuggets the way they did the other night, it doesn't bother you in the slightest like that maybe they actually have been trying and this wasn't just tune-up stuff for them? I don't know. I don't think so. All right, I guess the flip side of the question is, is there something about the four-month layoff and not having Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard not being what he was during the heart of the season? And, I mean, does, is there something else going on with JaVale? Like, does all this stuff together, LeBron's groin, does it take a team from one of the best defensive teams in the league who can kind of put elite defensive lineups out there, if you will, mm-hmm. and make them not just like not as potent or average, terrible. That's that's the harder reach for me. Like you're telling me that those right. guys are going to go out in the court and be terrible defensively? I don't think so. But I, I also know that I did just watch them <laughs> be terrible. Um, the JaVale stuff is weird. The Dwight stuff is weird. Obviously, this is a great case for Avery Bradley's value. I mean, what a bounce back from him. He was um, he was fantastic. I think I think people get too like too into a prior belief about something. Oh where, sure. Where oh this guy looks in 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 his case I think it's two things working against him. One he looks washed up, and two well I know that you know if I look at scoreboard based impact metrics if I look at mm-hmm. plus minus some small guard man defender isn't that valuable and those both of those things may be true but that doesn't change if you're a specialist and you put yourself in the right team then you're an important spearhead for that team and of course he was legitimately back to maybe where he was at his best as a man defender this year he's just fantastic and I do think uh, you know he's not playing 38 minutes a game and making a huge difference but you start to chip away at some of the layers that make you successful, and that's the concern. Yeah, I think so. He also, you know, the the style change for him was was a big deal too, from L.A. to Memphis to you know to the Lakers. Yeah, was a big deal because he was awful. But just because a guy has one awful season doesn't make make him an awful player. Just because you have one awful podcast doesn't make you. I've never had an awful podcast. No, that's not true. <laughs> Um, We've never had an awful podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed this one. Yeah, it was. Uh, I always do. I mean, is these are people. Sp- people are going to com- complain that uh, that we didn't just immediately talk about basketball, though. That's the only thing they got to lighten up a little bit. You think so? I thought we were pretty good today. We were. Yeah. We were. We were. We, we were, were disciplined. We we're on our p's and q's. Um, Dave, where can people find you? Follow you? Reach you? Um, go to theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod pod. Don't forget the pod. Sign up and then find me over there. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. A ton of podcasts. Obviously, the Athletic NBA show, Nerder She Wrote. Great show. That's with the, the aforementioned Seth Part now, who who I, I think is like a must-read. Uh, he's on my athletic app. He's been doing some really great stuff. Yeah, he's been getting deep inside the bubble. Or as we, you know, maybe we should call it the semi-permeable membrane. Well, uh, now it is, right? Because they're going to start letting people in. So, You know it's time to end the pod when I've, uh, I've cracked myself up with one of my lines. Um, Dave Dufour, thanks so much for coming on. If you want to support this podcast, check out 
that link, theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod, or go over and sign up at patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball, all sorts of extras, uh, many post shows that Dave and I have done about things from basketball to to cooking chicken recipes, um, extra videos up there, content, old database. So that's uh, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. Thanks so much for listening. As always, all the way to the end and wherever you are out there, enjoy the playoffs and I hope you're having a great day.